I was a very good boy today. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, I got my flu shot. Oh, good job. Which arm? Ow! Oh, that one. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of Gear Related. Amazing. A peek under the hood of the automotive repair industry. I am your amazing co-host, Heather. Yes, you are. And mm-hmm. I am your other amazing host, almost as amazing, Ben. Oh, almost as amazing, Ben. <laughs> You've got a nice ring to it, right? Yeah, I'm going to have a t-shirt made up. <laughs> what you got on the docket for us today, um, almost amazing, Ben? Well, we have uh, a wonderful storyteller uh, here to tell us a, oh, a great yeah. car story. But before we get into that, I had something happen at the shop this week that I, I wanted to, to, to talk about just because it's another amazing uh, edition of They Almost Fixed It. They Almost Fixed It! Oh, I love these. Yeah, aren't these good? All right, what you got? So let's say your exhaust gets a little loud. What, what do you do? So my exhaust has never really gotten loud, but it did. My whole muffler fell off one time. Does that count? <laughs> well, it was probably a lot louder. So yeah, so yeah, what, yeah. Did, what did you so, do? So I called you, my mechanic. That's right. So you called your mechanic. Well, that's good. And that's what most people do. And, and you'd think that they'd take it to their mechanic, get it looked at, find some broken part or damaged part that they would replace said part. And then right. your exhaust would mm-hmm. be fine. Or else... There's another way you can fix it, apparently, uh, and we call this the Campbell rule. Oh, the Campbell rule. Yeah. So you, so there's got to be some dude named Campbell that's like, I'm going to put my name on this. <laughs> well, he he may have put his name on it, but not necessarily this repair. His name is actually on something else. It's a soup can. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we had a car come in that uh, they decided to repair the exhaust by cutting the section out, and apparently it was just a small section, and they put uh, a soup cam and welded that in place. Wait, what kind of soup? See, this is what I, I, I don't know, because the exhaust gets hot and the label burns off. Oh, bummer. Assuming the label was ever there to begin with. So I'm not the expert as far as what kind of soup to use in this scenario, whether yes. it's tomato, chicken noodle. We are going to need your help. If you know Podcast America, yeah, please write us and let, <laughs> let us, us know. know. <laughs> What's the best soup to, to fix your exhaust with? If your kid needs like a really good science fair project, this may be it. Yeah. Oh, and if your exhaust is actually larger than most, you can always go to Progresso as opposed to Campbell. Wow, I feel like this has just been a lot of soup commercial. <laughs> we are not paid by any of these We are folks. not paid soup spokesmen. <laughs> soup soup spokesmen? Spokes. That's hard to say. We're already going downhill, folks. All okay, right. let's so get, let's, let's get to the good part. Yes, yes, let's definitely get to our story. They almost fixed it. Joining us today is a very special guest, storyteller extraordinaire Penny Sterling. Some of you may or may not ho- not, may or may not know her. If you don't, she recently performed in the Fringe Festival. This is your fourth year, is that Correct. right? Correct. Yeah, I've done four. I've done three shows over four years. Four four years of Fringe, and outside of that, you've performed in Buffalo, Syracuse, Ithaca. Washington, D.C., where else? Cincinnati, um, Minneapolis, uh, and Toronto. Now, these are all your shows, uh, Spy in the House of Men, mm-hmm. Parents and Children, Husband and Wives, yeah, 
and the Schmilf Life. Yes, Schmilf Life is my most recent one. I just I've only done that one here in Rochester. I've done exactly two shows in the last French, but I've done uh, Schmilf Life with uh, friends of the show Mike and Mel Muscarella. Oh, they were recent guests uh, on our podcast for listeners that uh, remember the show critters and cars and why we don't want them in our cars Ooh, <laughs> nice actually my story kind of has a little bit of that in it well let's jump right into that uh so we just know that you have a wonderful story to tell us and who better than the- storyteller extraordinaire Penny Sterling. That's me. That's right. Yeah, I didn't realize. When you said tell a story, and the way I work is if someone says, I want you to tell a story, I'd like actually write out a story. So I apologize if this isn't the way you guys normally do things, but it's the way I do things. And I have a microphone, so you're just going to have to sit there and listen. Well, we're looking forward to it. All right. I'm not the best person to tell a car story. My two most frequent car conversations are, why is my car doing that? And... How much will it cost to stop my car from doing that? <laughs> it's not that I don't like cars. I like them fine. I enjoy driving them, especially medium to long distances. I love looking at the scenery as it slides by. Uh, I find an, an acceptably illegal amount over the speed limit to drive. A cop I know once told me that his rule was eight and you're great, nine and you're mine, and that's what I live by. And then I pretend to have kinship with my fellow reasonably paced scofflaws who accompany me at this speed, often silently wishing them safe travels when our paths diverge. I'll admit to more than a small amount of pleasure when a mad bomber car doing double digits above my sensibly excessive speed gets pulled over. I'll also admit that when I get blown past like that, I'll boost my speed 5 or even 10 miles per hour faster for a few minutes, figuring figuring that if there's any cops around, they'll be after Speed Racer over there rather than me. Then we all slow down and move over like a pack of wheeled wildebeests, giving distance to the scene of the lion feasting on one of our own. Except rather than the old and the slow, it's the fastest and the fleetest that get taken down. So yeah, I know the long, thin pedal makes it go, and the short, wide pedal makes it stop. I know there's an engine. I understand the physics of the internal combustion chamber the same way I understand the mechanics of open-heart surgery. (laughs) To wit, I know something happens, and the end result is useful. But I'm not a car person. However, I can talk about the most car guy I ever knew, my father. My dad was the best driver I ever knew, and also the worst. He was the best mechanic I ever knew, and also the worst. It depended on which way you looked at him, really. When my dad and mom got married 63 years ago, he had a pink car and a blue cat. The car was a coral and black 1956 DeSoto sedan. The cat was a big Persian tabby named Omar. Dad loved them both. He would do all of the maintenance on the DeSoto himself, tuning the engine, changing oil, changing filters, rotating tires. He would wash the car twice a week and detail it once a month. It was a family member, as was Omar, although the cat got washed a lot less. He would bowl with Omar, not take him bowling. He would actually bowl him like a ball. Mom and Dad's first apartment had this long linoleum-covered hall that ran down one side of the rooms, and the front door was on one end and the bathroom on the other. When he came home from work, Omar would trot out to greet him, and my father, a man whose bowling average never dipped below 200 in his life, would pick up the 16-pound cat in one hand and literally bowl him down the hall. Omar would scratch frantically on the linoleum floor with his claws and give him just enough purchase to hook him through the bathroom door, stopping just before he hit the toilet. And then he'd come trotting back to do it again. He liked it just as much as Dad liked it. Mom 
didn't like it. You're scratching up the linoleum. I'll have to wax it. Dad didn't care. Omar scratched a lot. Mom would say, he's scratching the drapes. I'll need to get Venetian blinds. Dad didn't care. Mom would say, he's scratching the couch. I'll need to make slipcovers. Dad didn't care. One day, while Dad was puttering on his DeSoto, Omar hopped into the car and started shredding the back seat. Dad cared. Omar was gone within the week. Our <laughs> true story, our final score, poor Omar. Poor Omar. Well, our final score was Pink Car 1, Blue Cat 0. Objectively, Dad chose poorly. One day, while washing the DeSoto, he noticed a spot of brown dirt on a fender right behind the headlight. Dad swiped it off, and a second later, he noticed it was back. He swiped it again and saw it grow. He pushed lightly on the spot, and the panel crumbled under his hand, revealing several years' worth of crud that had collected behind the headlight because there was an opening in the wheel well allowing slush, salt, and road spray to collect unnoticed. The panel had been held together by paint and dozens of layers of turtle wax. Dad tried to repair the damage, but it was too great. The pink car with the chrome fins was gone, to be replaced by a sensible Ford Fairlane station wagon. On the other hand, Omar lived to be 23. His new family sending us pictures of him on, on the odd Christmas, always looking fat and smug, into the mid-70s. That Ford Fairlane was the car that drove me home from the hospital after I was born. And although I don't remember it, I would bet at least once during the ride, my mom said, Honey, too fast, slow down. And Dad replied, Nah, I'm fine. Because Dad drove like he lived, supremely confident in his abilities. He was a brilliant man who had both technical skills and imagination. He prided himself on being able to avoid trouble, but should it show up, also to work himself out of trouble. That meant like he was... That meant driving like he was in charge of the road, pulling up to the bumper of a slower car, then doing a near right angle lane change, blowing past him and sliding himself right in front of him, often with a camper in tow. That driving style was understandable considering where he grew up. Dad and mom as well were South Pen southwestern Pennsylvanians, with dad coming from Pittsburgh, a city of hills so steep that they're, that they're a dream. A city of hills so steep that they're a degree or two away from cliffs, where narrow roads were literally carved into gradients and merged lanes were sometimes two car lengths long. If you weren't aggressive, you didn't go anywhere. But we weren't in Pittsburgh. We were in Corning, usually driving on wider, calmer roads. Dad still insisted on continuing his hell-bent driving style, which, quite frankly, was a blast for us kids. We were rocketing around the roads like it was a Disneyland ride. Whee! <laughs> It wasn't until I started driving, and specifically driving my own family around, that I began to realize how dangerous this sort of driving was. It took some time to unlearn, though. Ever heard of a Pittsburgh left? Have you? Either one of you? I've heard of a New York turn signal, but not a Pittsburgh left. Well, a Pittsburgh left is where you hit the gas and make a left turn in front of the cars heading the other way when, you, when the light turns green. It's illegal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Want to know when I found this out? During my first driver's test. Oh, no. Uh, so the instructor didn't respond well to that? No, no, it was why I had to take a second one. <laughs> From an adult perspective, looking at my dad's driving makes me wonder how, he how we survived the 70s. No matter how skilled a driver he was, he was engaging in really risky behavior. But like I said, he had a very high degree of confidence in his abilities. Same thing with working on the car. He did most of the maintenance on our cars. The few times our cars were in the shop were because we're not... The few times our cars were in the shop were because he didn't have the tools or the time to do the job, not the skills. But he was stubborn about this, too. 
We had a 10-year-old VW microbus that spent more than two years sitting in the garage because my dad refused to take it to a repair shop to fix the air-cooled, transverse-mounted rear engine, a type of engine he'd never worked on or even seen before. Eventually, he got the motor running again, but it was running rough, and he couldn't smooth it out. Frustrated, he stepped hard on the gas and shot a family of chipmunks out of the tailpipe and into the driveway. Oh, no. You should see there were smoldering little rats bouncing oh. around the driveway. Don't tell the ASPCA. Uh, well, I'm sure that, yeah, well, they seem to be okay from other than like the smolder. That got the engine working again for a second, but it blew something else out of the car and it never ran again. But that was dad. He believed in himself and his ability to master anything. That's what got him killed. Sorta. In January of 1977, while driving my brother home from college, my parents and my brother got caught in a blizzard. But rather than stopping at a motel to wait it out, my dad continued on, even though there were times when he couldn't see the end of the car he was driving. They made it home okay, taking six hours to do what was normally a two-hour drive. But five days later, while playing volleyball, he dropped dead on the court, the result of ignoring the heart attack he had incurred several days earlier, most likely while trying to white-knuckle his way through a blizzard. My dad had convinced himself that his intellect could solve any problem all by itself, and that any display of caution or need was a sign of weakness. He fixed his own cars because he could, until he couldn't. He drove that way because he could. He even believed he could outthink pain, and by ignoring it, it would go away. He put his pride in front of reality, and it cost him his life. I didn't, really, I didn't realize that this was a flaw for the longest time. I, too, always had to be right. I treated driving like it was a race. It wasn't until I wormed my way out of a tight spot brought on in part, hell, mostly, by my own aggressive driving that I realized how ridiculous this was. Because when I looked at the faces that my children, because when I looked at the faces of my children afterwards, I didn't see admiration. I saw fear, which just shows my kids are smarter than me. I didn't. I don't ever want to see that look on anyone's face, just so I can save mine again. The things I got from my father that I treasure are creativity, intelligence, and an inquisitive mind, and a rather cute nose. <laughs> I'm doing my best to get past the need to be right all the time. The need to be right, and the Pittsburgh left. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. That was really well put together. I can't do that. I'm really happy that you guys liked it. <laughs> now that, was a, that was a phenomenal story. Thank Penny. you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really us. appreciate that. Do you can I ask you a question? I mean, I mean, yeah, you're, absolutely. You're, you're the you're the you're the guys. Do you how much time do you spend fixing cars that other people fixed and having to fix them because other people fixed them? Uh, I don't know that I could put an amount of minutes on it, <laughs> <laughs> but I can say that uh, you know it's and it's like everyday life. People bite off more they than they can chew, and I mm-hmm. don't begrudge anybody for trying. Right, uh, but there have been times where somebody has brought me a box of parts and said, "Please help me." <laughs> My brother. Um, takes after my dad in and, and, and an awful lot of ways. My dad was a mechanical engineer. My brother is a mechanical engineer. My dad died playing volleyball from a heart attack. My brother actually had a heart attack playing volleyball when he was 56 years old. He survived, but I 
to me is this this is God's way of saying my family should not be playing volleyball and that's why I don't. You don't play volleyball. No, no that's good. Yes. But after my dad died, my brother decided like he was going to be the guy who fixed the cars and he was like a college sophomore one time and there was a problem with our 1971 Impala. And he was under the hood taking things apart. And my mom came out and said, do you know what you're doing? And he said, no. <laughs> and, and he finished and the car ran. And he had a couple of pieces left. He had no idea what they were, but the car ran. Well, see, those are the parts that, you know, you, you just you just throw away because they must not have been necessary. Exactly. Right? No, I'm just kidding. We don't do that here. We're professionals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, if you weren't, I wouldn't be bringing my car here. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Here are the one that per- the other person that I say, why is my car making that noise, too? And then I tell you why that car's making noise, and hopefully it doesn't cost a lot, right? No, it doesn't. even it does. <laughs> even it does. You're, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's. I trust you guys implicitly. So, well, Penny, thank you so much for for coming and and, and just sharing this story with us. Um, uh, plug something. What what are you up to now? Well, I do this monthly storytelling show called Telling the Tale, which is uh, six storytellers that I and I have a very broad definition of what a story teller is and what a story is so i have musicians come on i have stand-up comedians poets uh i'm actually going to have darren stevenson from push physical theater come on and do a physical story oh cool um and so yeah and each each month it's a different prompt uh it, in october the prompt is going to be brave because everybody else is doing scared because it's halloween sure sure and november it's going to be roots and every month we do this um, we're kind of in the air right now. Hopefully, by the end of the week, we'll have. I think it's going to be a tin roof uh, that we're going to be doing this uh, on, a, on, a, on a monthly basis. And I do that. And I'm also going to be doing Spy in the House of Men in Corning. Oh, this will be the first. It'll be the first time I've come home as me. <laughs> and I'm going to be doing my show and a workshop down there. And I'm very excited about that. And I'm starting to shop Schmilf Life around for other places as well. Awesome. Well, that's great. Where, where can people find you if, in case they want to come to some of these things? Well, if you look up Penny Sterling on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, uh, you will find just find the one that looks like me. Find the one that, find the person who looks like your dad, like who's built like your dad but dresses like your mom, and that will be me. <laughs> so you can do that, and uh, or I also have Penny-Sterling.com is my website. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate being asked. Will you come on my podcast? I have, a, I have a podcast called Transformation Thursdays that I would love to talk about the way things change, especially things like cars and the fact that my dad, if he was alive today, he would not know how to fix a car. I would love that. I would love to have you there. All right, let's do that. Sounds good. Thank okay. you very much. You bet. Ladies and gentlemen, Penny Sterling. Oh, I love Penny Sterling. Those are some great stories. I know. She's always got amazing ones. And she's sitting there so smug right now. (laughs) (laughs) So we have come to the close of yet another mm -hmm, amazing Amazing. podcast. And I hope you all have a fabulous week. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, edits, (laughs) please. Um, Almost fix it. Almost fix it. Yep. Please give us a tweet. That's at Sean Auto, S-C-H-O-E-N, Auto, or hit us on the Facebook. The Facebooks, check out our website. Yeah, we yeah. got a good website. And, you know, recommend recommend this podcast to all your car fanatic or just... Yeah, and go to our, go to our uh, whatever your podcatcher is and give us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. Please, please. All right, have a good one. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, that's yours. <laughs>